So this is the Advent season. Do you know what the word Advent means? It means to come. And so in Advent season, we reflect on and celebrate the first coming of Jesus and certainly his birth. But in the Advent season, we're also living with anticipation, asking the question, will this be the year that Jesus comes again? And so as we approach December 25th, and the day where we kind of officially celebrate the birth of Jesus, we're asking this question, will will this be the year that Jesus comes again? And so every Advent season, we do different things as a church, and sometimes we do kind of a traditional Advent series, and this year we're doing something a little bit different. And as I told you at the beginning in the introduction, I began a series last week called Finish Strong. Everybody say, Finish Strong. It's my hope that you'll feel good about how you finished 2018. I don't know what your year has been like. Mine's had some ups and it's had some downs. But what I'm committed to in these last few weeks of the year is finishing strong. And so I begin to think and pray about what are areas that we have, as a church have really heavily emphasized this year and ask God to develop us as people. And so last week we talked about giving generously, and there seemed to be a really beautiful response to that. And then today we're going to talk about praying continually. And next week we're going to be talking about inviting always. Well, this idea of praying, which we're focusing on today, is so important because at the beginning of the year, we said as a church that we want God to raise the temperature of prayer life in our congregation. And so we set as a goal to help us focus on that. We set as a goal that we were going to follow up on 10,000 prayer requests during 2018, and it's been awesome. And as a part of meeting that goal, we have done things like prayer calendars, and there should be one on your chair. If you have one, I hope you'll take it home. We've got, uh, we have had prayer, answered prayer videos, which Kyle and uh, Carolyn and others have so beautifully done, and we have another one coming up that we're going to share with you. We've done a number of things to help raise the temperature in your heart and in our church and in intensity for prayer, because we believe that we must pray to God, and we are in our prayers talking to God and accessing something that we cannot do in our own strength, or asking God to do something we can't do on our own. And so finish strong, and it actually sets the stage for my January series, which is going to be called Start Stronger. So to help you think about those two series, uh, we have made a little rubber bracelet. I hope you'll put it on. I've been wearing mine since I got them in the mail this week, Uh, this little rubber bracelet that's on your chair. It says finish strong, start stronger. I hope you'll wear it. And in case you think it's cheesy and it might reveal how cheesy we are as a church, it's the first time in the history of this church we've done a rubber bracelet. And so... I thought, you know what, we're going big on this one. We're going back to 1994, and uh, we're going to do these rubber bracelets. So anyway, so I hope that you'll wear it, and maybe, just maybe, you'll have somebody go, what does that bracelet mean? You could even say, hey, my church is doing a series called Finish Strong, and they were going to begin a series in the new year called Start Stronger, and they're going to probably say, wow, that sounds so awesome, and a rubber bracelet. Can I come to church with you? And you're going to say, well, I'm not sure you can handle how cool it is, but yes, we do take all kinds of people. So... um, Finish strong, start stronger. So today is about prayer. So with that in mind, uh, I'm actually going to stop here and pray. God Almighty, we need you. We want you to be present in our lives and in this setting. And God, I'm just so grateful that you've entrusted us this morning with some people that do not yet believe in Jesus as the way to peace with you. God, thank you that you've You've brought some here who followed Christ for a long time. 
God, still others are here and maybe they're newly following Christ. So God, I pray that all of that and all these people, would, myself included, would be willing to kind of toss our hearts up against your word and experience a revelation of sorts of who Jesus is and how you love us and want us to come to you in prayer. So that's my hope this morning, and I'm dependent, fully dependent upon you, God. So I rest not on the skill of oratory. God, I rest in just knowing that the proclaimed gospel is the power for salvation. We love you, and I pray all this in Christ's name. Amen. So my beautiful wife read Luke 18 so beautifully, and today we learn something about praying continually from Jesus as he offers what's called a parable. It's the the parable of the persistent widow. And so a parable is a teaching tactic that Jesus used from time to time, and it's a simple story used to teach a lesson. And right from the beginning of this parable, Jesus tells us why he wants to give this parable. He says this in verse 1. He told them a parable to the effect that they ought always to pray and not lose heart. Not lose heart. I want you to know right from the beginning that you can and should ask God for help without losing heart. I want you to know that you can and should ask God for help without losing heart. I want you to get the sense in your heart and mind that you are in fact in need of God to work in your life. You're in fact need for somebody to reach down and to help you in your very desperate situation. So just a couple of weeks ago, I was at work and Jeannie says, I can't wait for you to be home. We have a surprise. And I said, okay, you know, when you have four children, that surprise could be, you know, another medical bill. Or, you know, something's been broken and Jeannie's trying to be positive, like, hey, we have a new doorway, you know. Um, Or, you know, uh, ooh, look, a neat scar, you know. Um, And so I said, well, what, what, what kind of what genre is this surprise in? And, and she said, well, we, we I, you know, she's kind of hem-hawing around via text, and she says, well, uh, I, you know, you won't like it, but the kids love it. <laughs> and I said, well, I'll be, I won't be coming home tonight. No. Um, so I say, I say, okay, and so I started to pick up on that they have found some kind of animal. And uh, we have one dog, which at times for me feels like one dog too many, and um, I, I sense that tension from the dog lovers in here. You're like, how could you? You know, you'd rather, get, you'd rather me give up one of my children than our dog. Um, it's okay. Anyway, so, and so sure enough, uh, I get home, and the kids were jumping on the trampoline, and they hear the cries, the, the whimper, the, the sound of, of little bitty baby kittens. And so there was a cat that had kittens, and uh, just leave that picture up there. Um, and there was a cat who had kittens, and they were in the fence, stuck. And so the kids, being the heroes that they are, the, the gods of the yard, so to speak, uh, tore apart my fence <laughs> to rescue these cats. That's maybe what I should show you a picture of, is my torn apart fence, um, to rescue these cats. And so they, they named them. Um, Kobe, do you remember the names of the cats? Hank, I think it was like Hank, Titus, and then 
it doesn't matter. I don't even, anyway, so, so these cats, so there they are. So, so I, I get home, and of course, I knew right from the beginning, and I told Jeannie, I was like, Jeannie, I'm going to need you to be strong on this one. I'm going to need you to be strong. I can't be the bad guy. This is not happening. We are not keeping these cats. And so, the, but the kids have rescued them. They've heard their cries, and of course, the story goes that uh, they, they were like, oh, just let the cats stay in the bathroom overnight. And I said, nope, that's one step towards us keeping them, and it ain't happening. So we put them up for adoption. We took them to the cat clinic. Fortunately, we have a friend who owns the cat clinic, and she was very gracious to, to take them off. So we don't have these cats. But here's the point of the story. There was a moment in these little kittens' lives where they had a need, and they're innocent and fragile and, and helpless, and they just cried out. And there was the God of the backyard who, who made every way to get them and rescue them and help them. You, my friends, are like those little whimpering kittens stuck in the fence. Whether or not you realize that you have needs in your life. And the widow of this story was like that, that helpless, needy cat. Okay, does that get in your mind? And it's reasonable to think that whatever difficulties you're facing, God wants to help you in. It's reasonable for you to think that you deserve justice whenever you've been wronged. So think about the area of your life that there is an adversary and you've been wronged and hurt and you're wondering, what do I do? Does God care? Well, this parable seems to reveal that God does. So here's the main idea of my talk this morning. Let us bother God. Everybody say, bother God. Let us bother God by praying continually for wrongs to be made right in life. Let us bother God by praying continually for wrongs to be made right in life. So in the parable, there's three characters. There is a judge who, according to Jesus, neither feared God or respected man. There's a widow who had been treated unjustly by the third character, an adversary, which we don't know much more about. We don't, in fact, know what he did to the widow. And he's really kind of a shadow character in the background. So you have this judge who neither feared God or respected man. And then you have a widow who'd been treated unjustly. And in the first century, when this passage was penned, a widow would have been someone who represents the uneducated, the poor, the unemployed, the unemployable. They were devoid of power, status, and connections. A widow in the first century was an unfortunate uh, person in a very terrible situation, dependent upon everyone, and a societal outcast. So you get it? So you have this judge who neither feared God or respected man, which means he has a lot of power, but no reverence for God and no reverence for people. And then you have a widow who's the most needy of people in society. And then there's this adversary that's done something to the widow, according to Jesus in the parable. So before we look at what exactly happened, I want you to think about the adversaries in your life. Think about those adversaries in your life. The adversaries are the people that leave us feeling left out or mistreated or ignored or hurting. And combine that kind of idea of adversary with the fact that we live in a broken world where things aren't the way they're meant to be. You ever have that feeling? Like, hey, I'm trying to make the best of this life, but there are just some days where I'm like, things are not the way that they're meant to be. For example, in the parable, the weaker people, this widow is taken advantage of or ignored by someone in power, the adversary to start and then the judge who has the power. 
So the adversary, someone who makes us feel left out or mistreated or ignored or hurt, we try to avoid these adversaries. But sometimes we work alongside them, right? Sometimes we work for them. Sometimes we have to meet with them during family Christmas dinners. Sometimes the adversary is that professor who is overly harsh. Sometimes that adversary is that client who is unnecessarily difficult and unwilling to pay. Sometimes that adversary is someone of of any kind that can create a situation that pains you. And you might even think about the adversary that is that voice in your own head that's tempting you to do wrong. Or maybe the adversary is that voice in your head that reminds you of something from your past. All of us have adversaries in our life, right? Well, this parable is about this widow who'd been treated unjustly by this adversary to the degree that she needs the help of a higher power of the judge. The judge didn't fear God or respect people. And so for this widow to get help from this judge is the most unlikely of scenarios. So the parable is not about the fact that the judge has come to his senses and all of a sudden become empathetic to the widow. No, it's not about that at all. Nor is it really about the destitute situation of the widow. No, it's not about that at all. The point of the parable is what changes the judge's heart is the fact that she is persistent in her prayers. She bothers the judge. She continues to go after him again and again and again. Verse 5, because this widow, the judge says, keeps bothering me, I will give her justice. It's not because I am a just judge, he's saying, or because her situation is uh, all of a sudden become a big deal to me, but because she keeps meowing in the fence, because she keeps whining, because she keeps nagging me, because she is so committed to getting justice that she comes to me again and again and again and again and again, no matter my response to her, she continues to come to me. Because of that, I will give her justice. She keeps bothering me, and so I will give her justice so that she will not beat me down with her continual coming. This unrighteous judge grants her request for justice because she keeps bothering him. It reminds me of something that happened in my life recently. Uh, I went uh, to a cell phone store. I won't tell you who it was. Starts with T, ends with mobile. Um, And I went to this cell phone store, and I needed a new cell phone. And so I went in, and I took advantage of the BOGO deal, you know, the buy one, get one. And so I got a phone that I paid for, and I was supposed to get a credit for a second phone. A month passes. I don't get the credit for the second phone. And so I go back to the store, and I say, hey, you owe me $700. And they say, no, we don't. Uh, And they begin to argue with me about whether or not I actually deserve the $700. And so... That was a point in my uh, life not too long ago. I don't know if you remember, not long after I hurt my shoulder, and so I was wearing that kind of brace. And so I was always, I was always kind of grouchy during that time anyway. So when I went to T-Mobile and they were telling me, we don't owe you $700, I was very irritated, you know. And so I'm like, okay, do these people know I'm a pastor? And should it affect the way I behave right now? And uh, maybe I'll go to T-Mobile down to Sugarland, you know, where they don't know that anything about Neartown Church. Anyway, so I was trying to be very firm with them, like, hey, listen, you owe me $700. It wasn't my mistake. It was your mistake of one of your employees who's, in fact, no longer here because he continues to make mistakes. I know this to be true. And they said, okay, so what we're going to do? You know what they always do? We're going to send it to the manager, and then we'll have the manager call you. I'm like, oh, yeah, sure, sure. I've been there. I'm not dumb. And uh, so I said, okay, what's the manager's name? So, anyway, so we begin this back and forth. It took, no kidding, 
It took like eight weeks. And what I decided at one point was this. I wasn't going let to let, let it make me mad. I was just going to pester them. like the, It was going to be like the parable of the persistent pastor where I was just going to pester them. So no kidding, I would go there every week. I'd show up, and they'd say, oh, hey, Russell. I was like, okay, where's my $700? You know, I'd walk in, and um, no kidding. And I just decided to make it kind of fun, you know. And I'd walk in, like, hey, guys, good to see you. I'm looking forward to you giving me that $700 because you owe it to me. And, um, and it was kind of a thing around our home. Like our kids, like, hey, Dad, did you get your $700 yet? I said, no, but this is fun. Hey, can we go with you, Dad, to see how you're going to be with them? And uh, sure enough, you know, I took them sometimes. Sometimes I look at this kid. He's wasting away. You owe me $700. And, um, and so, and then eventually, you know, the guys started, like, empathizing with me a little bit. Like, man, I can't believe they're doing this to you, you know. And so, finally, it got moved all the way up to the T-Mobile person who's in charge of all T-Mobile stores. And it was their mistake. They knew it. And I had, they knew it. I had this log of all these ways that I have been treated unjustly, including, like, we'll call you tomorrow, and then they don't, you know, kind of a deal. And eventually, they called, and I said, listen. Oh, no, no. They gave me, somebody gave me a text message number, which was a mistake because I was like blowing them up. I was like, hey, how's it going? Praying for you. And uh, you owe me $700, and I'm a pastor trying to serve in the community. This $700 could go to great ministry. I mean, I was pulling it all out. I'm not even lying. And, uh, and the person responded like, oh, my gosh, I can't believe, you know, you're a pastor. Though. That's great. Thank you for being, treating us so kindly. Which I, you know, it was good. Anyway, eventually what happened? I got the free phone and $500. This is what it means to pester the authority to get what you know is rightly yours. But sometimes instead of pestering, what we do is we pray and then we don't get what we want right away and so we lose heart. But Jesus says, I want you to bother God in prayer and I don't want you to lose heart. I want you to always pray. You know what praying does? Is it connects us with the Father. I was connected with those authorities at T-Mobile. I bet I could walk in there right now. They probably have a picture up on the wall, a customer of the month. Like I was connected to those people in authority because I spent time with them and I went over there with them. Sometimes in prayer, when we don't get exactly what we want, when we want it, we lose heart and then we begin to panic. We begin to do other things. Begin to withdraw. You know, we panic and we say, oh, my life is over. We withdraw and we say, God, why, could you, why did you do this to me? How could you let this happen? I can't trust you anymore. Or we escape. You know how we escape? We, we drink more. We work more. We buy more. We're not to lose heart. Why do we lose heart? It's because we want immediate results, which there's nothing wrong with that, but you're not always going to get immediate results to your prayer. We can lose heart because we have unrealistic expectations. We can lose heart because we get tired, right? And that's a very natural kind of human emotion is just getting tired. But most of all, the reason that we lose heart is because we take our eyes off of Jesus and we put our eyes on our situation. But Jesus is saying, I want you to pray always and not lose heart. And the reason that you can pray always and not lose heart is because our eyes are not on our situation and whether or not it's happening the way we want it to, but our eyes are on Jesus and we're drawn in by that. Paul tells the Corinthians in 2 Corinthians chapter 4, we do not lose heart. The outer self is wasting away. In other words, our situation is not getting better on the outside. Our inner self is being renewed day by day. For this light momentary affliction is preparing for us an eternal way to glory beyond all comparison as we look not to the things that are seen but to the things that are unseen. For the things that are seen are transient but the things that are unseen are eternal. We do not lose heart because our eyes are not on our current situation 
and the thing that we've been treated unjustly on, but our eyes are on Jesus and we're trusting him to work it out however it's meant to be worked out. And so the parable goes. The judge who has no reverence for God and no respect for people is bothered by this widow, a person without power, and actually grants her justice. And so Jesus goes on and says, will not God give justice to his elect? His elect are people that are Christ followers. Will not God give justice to his elect who cry to him day and night? Will he delay over them? And these questions are rhetorical, right? Jesus is asking them and the answer is assumed. Of course God will give justice to his children speedily. In the parable, the woman is seen as destitute, as a societal outcast. But here's the thing about God and you. You are not seen by God as destitute, as a societal outcast. Once you enter into a relationship with Christ, he sees you as a special child. He's not ignoring your call. He wants to pick up the phone. You know, I, I uh, get texts and calls quite often during the day. It's the nature of my job. I'm with people, a lot of people. And I don't always pick them all up because sometimes I'm doing other things. But you know who I pick up every single time? My wife or my kids. It doesn't matter what's happening or what's going on. Why? Because I love them. They're my ch- family. They get direct access to me. You, you know that illustration. When we start thinking about you as a Christ follower... Whenever you have a need, whenever you have something in your life that is hurting, whenever there's something in your life that has um, caused you pain or there's been some kind of injustice in your life that you want to be made right, you get to go to the Father and you don't have to go with fear. You don't have to go with uncertainty. You can go to the Father and say, God, I need your help in this situation. I'm trusting you no matter how little or how big that you think that situation is. For some of you, the adversary is a person that is in your life that's a real pain. It's causing you pain. And maybe you'll bother God and that situation will change. But maybe, just maybe, you'll bother God and your heart will change. Some of you, the adversary is that voice in your heart that is reminding you this season of a person that you have lost that you won't be celebrating Christmas with, and maybe just maybe you have some regrets, and that voice, that adversary in your mind is, I just wish I had this to say to them over again. And it's that voice that can beat you down and that can hurt you, and it's not a good feeling as you go into the holiday. But maybe, do you know that the Father is waiting? Go to Him and say, God, I need for you to work a justice in my heart to make what's been wrong by these terrible experiences or terrible memory, make it right by the blood of Jesus Christ and by your grace and by your mercy. What is the adversary? And do you know you can go to the Father? And here's the thing. When you go to the Father, he doesn't always say yes. He doesn't always say no. Sometimes he says maybe or wait. And Jesus knows. I mean, he's giving this parable, and he lives this. He has the credentials. Do you know that not long after this parable, Jesus is in the Garden of Gethsemane, which is a place that he finds himself in prayer just before his crucifixion. And in the Garden of Gethsemane, he is bothering God. And here's what he says in Hebrews chapter, or here's what he says later in the book of Luke. 
My father, if it is possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. He feels the injustice of what's about to happen to him. He's about to be crucified wrongly. And there's a moment in heat which he says, God, I want justice here. Can you take away this punishment? But not as I will, but as you will. So if it's your good will for me to suffer injustice for a bigger picture, then I trust you. Hebrews chapter 12, verse 3 says, Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself, had adversaries, so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. Maybe you're weary or faint-hearted because there's an adversary that's continued to be unjust to you. And rather than bothering God and continuing to bother God and keeping your eyes on Jesus, you've just done that. You've grown weary and faint-hearted. You've, you've panicked. You've withdrawn. You've escaped. And what the parable is telling us is that we get to go to the Father. Let us bother God so that the wrongs in our life can be made right. So there's a plan here we see in the parable. A plan. And so I just want to give this to you. This is very practical as we begin to think about how does this apply to our Monday. The first part of the plan is you need to set aside a time before breakfast and before bed to pray about that thing. So get that one thing in your mind. What's that adversary? Who is that adversary? You need to set, a time, set aside a time before breakfast and before bed to pray. Now, the good thing is most of you have phones where you can set a reminder. I mean, you set a reminder to wake up in the morning. You set a reminder to pick your kids up from school. You set a reminder to meet a friend, whatever it may be. How about setting a reminder to bother God? You could even put that on your phone, time to bother God. <laughs> Verse 3 says, the widow kept coming. I love that. Jesus is applauding the widow. She kept coming to the judge. How much more, verse 7 says, will the father who loves the elect, who loves his children, help those who cry to him day and night? And the the concept of crying to him day and night is so important because it's not just like on the way, oh, I was walking to my car and I thought, hey, God, help me in this situation. I mean, that's an okay, certainly acceptable way to pray. But the kind of praying that maybe we all ought to be doing more is the kind where we're really locked in with God and honest with God and raw with God. So I had this moment of prayer a couple of weeks ago, and I'll tell you very briefly the story. I woke up at 1.45 in the morning. And it was one of those that I woke up and, um, and it was like, I think God wants to like, you know, I got to get up and talk to God. I had some stuff on my mind. I wake up fairly often in the middle of the night with things on my mind, but sometimes I can go back to sleep. Other times I can't. This is one of those. I was like, okay, God, we got to talk. I had some stuff that burdening my heart. So I get up and uh, I want to get quiet. And, and some of what burdened my heart is in relation to the city and our church's ministry in the city and reaching the city. So I thought I'm going to get in my truck. I'm going to drive around 610. So at 2 o'clock in the morning, uh, I get in my truck and I, and I get out down 59 South and I get up to 610 and I'm driving around. And I said, I'm going to drive around this loop 
I'm going to talk to God, and it's going to be honest. It's going to be raw. In fact, when I tried to get into my truck, I tried to put on some, like, Christian music. It wouldn't work. My radio wouldn't work, and I thought, well, maybe I need to put on some Mumford & Sons, something a little more, like, deep and melancholy, you know, and it, it wouldn't work. My radio wouldn't work, and so it's just me and God. And so I'm driving around 610, and I'm praying for my own heart. I'm praying for my family. I'm praying for you all. I'm praying for this city. And it's amazing, by the way, how small the city seems when there's no cars out. <laughs> And I'm praying, and, and, and a part of that is there were some tears shed in my truck. And you're thinking, well, that's not very safe. You're driving and crying. And I was like, you know what? If I'm going to go out, this would be a pretty awesome time to go out, you know? Like he was driving around 610 praying for the city, and he was crying and weeping, and then he ran into a guardrail. You know, although none of you believed it because Jenny didn't even know I left. <laughs> But this is the kind of prayer sometimes we have to give God whenever we're struggling, whenever there's an adversary. It's not just, hey, God, uh, by the way, this guy, you know, blah, 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 walk off, no big deal. It's a kind of intensity where there's crying to him day and night. Put a reminder on your phone, set aside time to bother God before breakfast and before bed. Will you do it? Second thing, make your request. Ask him what you want. Bother him with a specific request. Sometimes when I'm praying, I, I just sense the Lord, like, don't just tell me, you, you know, God, love people, you know, very generally. What do you want? Who do you want me to love? Who do you want me to use you in their life? What difficulty are you facing that you're going to lay at my feet? Be specific. This woman, the widow, says, give me justice. Maybe that will be your prayer. Verse 7, again, we have those words, cry to him. So set aside time before breakfast and before bed to pray. Put a reminder on your phone. I hope that some of you will do it. Make your request. Be specific with your request like this widow was. And then uh, repeat. (laughs) There's there's three words in there. Verse 4. She went to him for a while. Repeat. Jesus does say he will give justice to them speedily. And as I mentioned, sometimes God's answer is yes, sometimes God's answer is no, and sometimes his answer is wait. But you get to repeat your request to God because you are not an unwanted and cared for widow. You're a child of the king. He is very glad to have you crawl up in his lap in prayer and make requests of him. You're loved. You don't have to fear that God will be disinterested in whatever's going on in your life. He does care. So that is a plan, and my call to action is this for you in the next seven days. Very practical. I want you to commit to bother God about one area for seven days between now and next week. So commit to bother God. What's that adversary in your life? Is it a person? Is it a situation? Is it something within your own heart? Maybe your bother God is, God, I need you to comfort me because I'm really hurting. The holiday time is an incredibly stressful time for some people as they think about lost loved ones or think about the difficulty of getting with family or financial stress. So maybe that's it for you. So I want for you, every one of you, to commit to bother God before breakfast and before bed, every day this week. And let's see what happens. Let's see what happens. And if you want me to, then you're welcome to invite me into 
you're bothering God, and I would bother God on your behalf, you can go to our prayer website, which is prayforme.life, and right there you can submit your prayer requests, and you can choose pastors only or whole church. You can go to prayforme.life and invite us into praying with you. Will you bother God this week? If you do, if you choose to bother God, like Jesus is telling you have the freedom to do in Christ, then you know what will happen this week? God will shoulder the burden. If you choose to bother God this week, you'll speak out loud what you know is in your heart, but you've been afraid to say. And I want you to know you'll be reminded that God cares and he will listen. If you bother God before breakfast and before bed this week, you'll get an answer. Yes, no, or wait. If you bother God, you will gain strength. Whenever I got done, it took me 45 minutes to get around 610 loop. It was done about 3 o'clock. And the, the freedom I felt was so good, and I just celebrated. I went to Whataburger at 3 o'clock in the morning, actually. This is a little bit of confession. So um, anyway, please forgive me, Lord. And I just felt so freed up because I bothered God really honestly. And then, uh, and then I continued to drive around the neighborhood and prayed more specifically for our ministry as a church. If you bother God, then you will demonstrate, as Jesus says in verse 8, when the Son of Man returns, will he find faith on earth? The implication is that the people faithfully bothering God for areas of injustice to be made right is an evidence of faith on earth. So if you bother God, then you will demonstrate faith on earth this week. But if you don't, if you don't want to bother God, if you don't want to heed my challenge for that one request before breakfast and before bed, set a reminder on your phone or however you have to remind yourself, then, then you will lose heart. You will be crushed. You will walk away, and you will not be found faithful. So may we all be the kind of people who bother God so that our adversaries can face the justice of God. And all that's been made wrong will be made right in due time by God. Let's think on and pray about these things. So just with your head bowed, what's an area of your life where there's an adversary? You could just identify that and feel kind of crummy about it. And then walk out of here and nothing change. Or you could commit to bother God before breakfast and before bed seven days in a row and see what God does. So right now where you are, make that commitment. What's it going to be for you? Truthfully, it would be a waste of the last 30 minutes of your life to have come to mind an adversary and then walk out and not take advantage of the opportunity to bother God about it for the next seven days. For those of you who are here who are not yet Christ followers, can you just see that God loves you so much that he sent his only begotten son, Jesus, which we celebrate that birth, of course, just a couple of weeks from now. That little baby boy, Jesus, experienced the temptation and the struggle much like you do and have throughout your life. 
grew up, and in his life, he demonstrated the way of the Father by caring for the marginalized, by rebuking the religious people, (laughs) and getting at the heart of the issue. And then in the Father's sovereign plan, he walked to the cross and was crucified. And there's a mysterious exchange where the payment for your sin goes to Jesus on the cross. And if you repent of your sin and place your faith in Jesus, then his righteousness is given to you. It's imputed to you. That transaction, which is mysterious, is what is the good news of the gospel. And it's talked about throughout the Bible. It's revealed in the Bible. And just three days after Jesus was crucified, the Bible says that he was raised from the dead. This resurrection of Jesus is a way that we see the authority of God over sin and death. But it also gives us the hope of new life. So I want to invite you to cross over the line of faith. Do you believe? Is there something in your heart that says, okay, if I were to stand before God, I am not at peace with God, but I want to be at peace with God. I'm telling you that the gospel is you can be at peace with God by repenting of your sin, acknowledging your sin before God, and placing your faith in Jesus Christ. Do you have to have every question answered? No. There is mystery in the Christian faith. But if there's something in your heart that's quickened, that's, that's stirred, then I just want to challenge you, and I'm trusting God to work in your heart now to call you to put your faith in Christ. The Bible says, all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It also says, for the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is eternal life through Jesus Christ our Lord. Will you believe? Will you cross the line of faith? If you will, then right now where you are, you could even pray to God and say, God, forgive me for my sin. I don't understand it all, but I want to place my faith in Jesus and begin this new walk. God Almighty, we love you and we respond to you now, believing that your word has gone forth in power. We trust you. Trust it. Yeah, there are some here that have a lot of faith, but most of us just have a little faith. So God, I pray that you would increase our faith. And for those in particular who've not yet placed their faith in Christ, I pray that their hearts would be stirred to believe. I pray that they would have a ring in their minds. What will they do or say when they stand before Jesus as judge at the end of their life? God, for all these that can think of an adversary, someone who has been unjust to them, I pray, God, that you would stir their hearts to bother you before breakfast and before bed for the next seven days and that you would make very clear that you are willing to shoulder the burden that you're going to work in your perfect timing and all these things, Lord. We just love you, and I pray now that we would respond in accordance to what your Spirit is doing. I pray this in Christ's name. Amen.